Okay, welcome back to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm your host, Paul Randack. Uh, what we welcome this week into the Zen Zone. <laughs> you know, I'm not always sure, uh, Tyler, this is a Zen Zone for everyone. But I'm, I'm hoping that everyone can have a good time. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, welcome, welcoming Tyler Hansen. Um, who uh, just two weeks ago, or maybe three, I can't remember. I, yeah, I think it was two weeks, weeks ago, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, was on a roundtable with, um, uh, I'm going to say Heather Bush, who you know, because mm-hmm. you work with her at the Harm Reduction Coalition, yep. right? Okay. And of course, uh, our friend, uh, Dr. Robert Simpson. Um, and what, a, by the way, I've gotten so much great feedback on that episode. And, you know, that gave a lot of information that most people didn't understand. And not that this is just all new information, but didn't understand the vastness of services that really are available and why we make those or why you guys make those available. Um, no, and, that's, and that's... I think that was, a you know, yeah. opened up a lot of minds, hopefully. hopefully. No, that's, that's outstanding. And I appreciate you being willing to have the conversation because, um, you know, just from my own experience, harm reductions are really hard concept for a lot of people and um it's it's definitely a conversation you know there was a guy that did the commencement speech at uh, byu i guess this year and he said he was a i believe he's a catholic guy Mm -hmm. and he said we shouldn't uh disagree less we should disagree better so (laughs) oh i like that (laughs) yeah i really like that i and i like uh these you know kind of hot button topics that we can at least have the conversation around so i appreciate it as well i had a bunch of phone calls from people that said hey what is harm reduction and and at least got to have some some good conversations with people so thank you it does open up it it does open up the door yeah and when you and i were talking before you know we, we came on the podcast today um that you know, neither of us were oh. necessarily open-minded at the <laughs> time, you know, at different times um, and thought that uh, maybe a lot of people are just in denial or that it's a justification and oh, absolutely. You know, a lot of irrational thinking on my part that uh, definitely was not helpful for myself as far as being open and tolerant of others, but also not really understanding what, what the, the overall goal and purpose is yeah. when it comes to harm reduction. I think maybe for some, even though I know this is even st- still like a, a difficult issue, um, but it seems like um, uh, MATS or you know medication-assisted treatment, maybe there's more skepticism towards that than maybe you know, necessarily a needle exchange program sure. or is a safe... Uh, injection sites. So that's not what uh, Heather called them. She called them safe consumption sites. Safe consumption sites. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm working on rewiring <laughs> my brain just so you know because I like that term. Yeah. It, because I like that term much better. It, and I don't know if it's just because it's a little bit softer than the other one, but <laughs> the but the idea of giving um, resources and alternatives and work on spreading less disease and um, less overdoses, uh, it just makes so much sense. And I know we're not quite all there yet. I get, I get it. But hopefully talks like that and will just increase the possibility of treating this as a healthcare problem instead of a moral or criminal issue. Yeah, and that's that's all we want to do. And I think you and I you know, both agree. You know, when I started this process, my belief systems were 
super rigid around all this stuff and and it was a hard concept i think we just um, are having so many people die and having um you know success rates that we like to see uh, save some lives and so i think the conversation is definitely yeah. needed so thank and, you and it's time and and thank you for being part of it yeah. we will come back and visit that again yeah um you know i i think touching upon it in some form or another is is a basically a community resource for our community and sure. it, it it's a public service let's put it that way yeah. to have this conversation and um and of course you know, we, we people that want to advocate for it need to know where about, where to do that. And, yeah. and I think the more information we can bring forward, the better for everyone concerned. Absolutely. So, absolutely. All right. Well, today, <laughs> this is your day. <laughs> this is your life. <laughs> you know, and I mean, of course, we are. Uh, <laughs> this is just another bozo on the bus. So you get to tell your own very own special. Bozo, Bozo story, story today, um, and I'm really gr- no. Honestly, I am grateful that you you are uh, you're here to do that and share it with with our listeners. Um, the little I I know about your story, partly from you and and uh, those other colleagues that that know you and uh, appreciate what you do, and um, uh, I'm looking forward to filling uh-huh. in the details, so to speak. So wherever you'd like that. to start, this um, is your life. <laughs> No, I, I appreciate that. I, um, grew up in Orem, Utah, in Utah County and, uh, had, and, you know, incredible parents, uh, incredible brothers and sisters and really was, um, you know, kind of, uh, had a normal existence growing up, grew up in the LDS church and, and, um, did all the things good LDS kid does and went on a, on a mission and, and, uh, to Japan and just, just the good stuff. Just, well, <laughs> no, I'm just, it's no, set up. No, I'm it's, sorry. No, you, you it, just, it's, it was low hanging yeah, fruit. No, no. Tyler. no I, I really, um, through high school was kind of the golden boy. I played uh-huh. baseball. I uh-huh. never drank, never smoked. Um, well smoked one cigarette one time with a buddy and, and did you get sick by the way? Yeah. yeah. It was really sick. Uh, but I, 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 by the way, I still get sick if I smoke a cigarette. Do you really? The next day, I mean, my, there are a few people, friends of mine, or a cigar or something. Mm-hmm. I can't even, I, I get sick. I, I have a, I have a ta- nicotine tobacco hangover. That's unbelievable. And it's the worst yeah. if you don't smoke. No, so. no, I, I didn't. And, and really just, um, didn't do anything. I didn't have any addiction stuff. Um, and went on a mission, was out uh, for a year in Japan, and had a phone call at Christmas time. And for those of you that, that don't know, you you go on a LDS mission back in the day, you could only make a couple of phone calls. It was Christmas and Mother's Day. So mm-hmm. looked forward to the phone call. And the phone call at Christmas was a little weird. Everybody seemed uh, not to be themselves. And then I got a phone call on the... I believe it was the 6th of January and it was from my family and it was actually the mission president and he said hey hop on your bike and I need you to ride uh, down to the mission home which was about I think 26 miles away so I knew something was going on I showed up there yeah it was a a little bit of a jaunt yeah it was a it's a pretty uh, crazy ride but but my companion and I hop and and went down there I showed up at the mission home and 
everybody was in tears and i thought oh no and they said hey your your uh your dad's on the phone and um picked up the phone and dad said hey um mom's got cancer Uh, it's pancreatic and essentially said um you get to make the decision as to whether you stay or come home or what you want to do but you've got to make the decision fairly quickly because mm-hmm. if you're going to come uh we need you to we need you to come fast and they essentially said mom with pancreatic cancer my mom was a little tiny tiny lady mm-hmm. and uh, they said she's got about you know a couple of months to live wow and okay, so, so you're in your you're around 20 or 19 or yeah 20, this 20 yeah. yeah and so um how old was mom mom was 43 I okay believe. so young yeah young and no idea beforehand were there any other health issues no no idea beforehand i'm the oldest of five kids Mm -hmm. so i've got uh, two little brothers two little sisters and there were no indications she'd had some back pain Mm -hmm. i guess earlier um about six months beforehand but it was fairly uh you know it wasn't very remarkable and so the doc hadn't uh, they hadn't really looked at it and Mm -hmm. it just had continued to get worse until they did uh, an MRI and, mm-hmm. and saw all the spots. And so at that point it had progressed far enough that I think there wasn't, and the, and, and fascinatingly enough, you know, nowadays it, the recovery rates are a lot better than they were. Yeah. It's then. still, it's still not yeah. one of, yeah. it's one of the more difficult, uh, forms of cancer. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's the one you don't want to have. I don't know mm-hmm. that any of them are good, but yeah. that's true. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, and so I, I went, um, you know, talked to my mission president, and uh, I was pretty sure I was going to go home and stay home and be there for my mom's funeral. And I went uh, home and uh, saw my mom, and it was, it was startling to see her because she had lost so much weight, and she was in the she hospital. Was, she deteriorated She deteriorated quickly. really yeah. quickly. And she was just such a little lady that wasn't... Mm-hmm much there and my mom said uh you know we love you and she and i kind of in a uh some tender moments had some conversations and she essentially said i need you to go back out and Hmm. finish and i want you to do what's right and and uh you know just a woman of incredible faith Mm -hmm. and and just kind of said everybody here's struggling why don't you go out and and do the right thing and so I'm curious how you felt about that. I, I, I mean, myself, I mean, not, you know, having the same background as yeah. you would, would still feel highly torn by the, I, those options, you know. I really, These are her wishes, yeah. of course, so that, that would have some weight on it. But, you know. In, until that point, I had decided I was going to stay home. Hmm. And I think oh. um, my mission president had, as I was leaving, said, you know, you need to come back if you can. And in that moment, you know, mom's last wish is essentially that you go back and finish your mission. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I kind of switched directions. And okay. and they only allowed, let's see, I had to go back within 10 days or I had to change missions was how it came down. And so I was only home for about a week and spent some time with mom and, and said, goodbye to whatever degree we could and i i don't think i really thought she was going to be gone or i was too young to understand what that looked like Mm -hmm. and so i remember uh 
getting back on a plane and and going back and and being in Japan and what part uh, of Japan were you in? I, I was didn't in, realize I didn't ask you. I was where in. You were. Uh, it's called Fukuoka. It's down uh, south, so it's just above Okinawa, mm-hmm. but it's really tropical and really beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful place. But I was down there and um, was able to call a few times in the next few months, and then essentially got uh, a phone call from my dad one morning that just said, "Mom's gone," mm-hmm. and. It was just kind of a, a surreal experience for me. You weren't um, connected to the family, didn't know what was going on. My dad uh, and family had related it to me as it was kind of a beautiful day because from what I gather, she'd suffered quite a bit. It was quite painful towards mm-hmm. the end. But not being connected to that, you're just kind of unaware of everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. So um, didn't go home for the funeral, got a tape in the mail uh, a few weeks later of, of the funeral and got to listen to that and kind of, you know, at that time with the church, um, and, and you just kind of put your head down and worked hard and Mm -hmm. there wasn't therapy. There wasn't anyone to talk to that. It was just kind of, Hey, you know, here's, here's the deal. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's get this done. And so I really became a, a good missionary. Mm-hmm. and worked really really hard and in my family everybody's really good at working really hard my dad owned an insulation business growing up and my brothers and sisters are incredible athletes my brother uh, played in the nba and my sisters were probably two of the best women's basketball players in the state mm-hmm. and so um, just amazing people and better people than they are athletes but we can we can work hard and that was the one thing high school baseball taught me is I'm probably a mediocre athlete at best, but given the opportunity to work, I can outwork about anybody. <laughs> and so um, it, it, it served me later. And, and it, I had a good experience on, on that last year of the mission. I felt uh, close to my mom. Uh, I felt like she was there in some instances mm-hmm. and had spiritual connection on sure. that end. But got home and, you know, you come home and mom has passed away a year ago and people have moved on and but to, you've actually haven't done yeah you the process the grief or the no, loss you haven't been to the grave you haven't right. been to the grief it, it's it's difficult to talk with your siblings about because mm-hmm. they are trying to move on mm-hmm. um, my dad was in the same process which you know i i understand um what it's like to lose a mom i don't and can't imagine losing a wife mm-hmm and what he went through at that time. And it was just kind of that disconnection as to, you know, dad was um, dating and, and going to move on. Oh, that can be actually, that in itself can be a lot, can be more traumatic, I'll say, than sometimes a death because it really points out this moving on um, and the change of a family dynamic, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Right? So, I, I mean, I I can see that, that that's a lot to take in. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and just for frame of reference, I mean, my mom was kind of everything to everybody. I had gone to Rick's college for a semester or two before I had gone on a mission. Mm-hmm. And when I got back, I was going to go to school at Utah Valley, uh, UVCC, Utah Valley Community College. And I realized I didn't even know how to register for classes because my mom had done that mm-hmm. for me. There were just so many things 
that she had just done for us that, hmm. that I was just kind of inept at, at basic life skills because she was so awesome. Hmm. And so that, that void, and she was always the person I talked to about everything and ran everything by and your, you know, your best friends gone yeah. and the, the rudder to the ship to some degree is, is gone. So that in, in and of itself and just not being able to process things very well. And I, I get that I never really have been a talker hmm. and, and able to talk about my emotions mm-hmm. and my feelings. I've been more of a stuff it and work kind of guy it really brought up a ton of stuff for me. Hmm. And in that process, I came home and I kind of had this crazy idea that I've done what God would want me to do. So God owes me. Oh, <laughs> the old God which, owes me one. Yeah. <laughs> which it turns I'm, out. I'm, I'm getting ready to cash this. Yeah. In, I'm going to cash these ships in. And it turns out that that is not how that relationship works at all. <laughs> But uh, Sorry, at that I, time, this is so true. <laughs> this stuff is so I, true. Right? I was so <laughs> sure, Paul, that this is totally going to work out, and I'll just kick back and uh, and you know, gold will be showered from the heavens, and everything will just work out perfectly because I've done this wonderful thing. Yeah, and it did not uh, wow. happen like that at all, and I kind of floundered and couldn't figure out what to do. And during this time, my brother uh, returned home from a mission, and oh. uh, my brother is—he'd gone out. I mean, after you, or yeah, were you guys gone, out at the same time at all? We were out. Uh, he went out after. Okay. And so, well, actually, we were gone. We were so right after mom had passed away. He went out right before I got home. Okay. And so he was out. So he was out. in that time, he had gotten back, and he was an incredible athlete. And the way that I know I'm a mediocre athlete is because I've seen him play basketball mm-hmm. and there's people in the world, Paul, that you and I know that, that literally uh, God has touched mm-hmm. and can just do things. And mm-hmm. he was one of those people in high school. He could jump out of the gym. He's six foot seven. Uh, he's just this incredible, incredible athlete. And, and in a lot of ways didn't have to work, really hard in high school ended up figuring that out in college and after but was just just this incredible athlete so he gets home and goes down to BYU and is kind of the star uh, player at BYU and the only reason I, I say this is it just kind of was this wonderful thing for him and my family and everybody else mm-hmm. but going around town I'm probably uh, 5'11", if I have baseball cleats on. <laughs> and and I probably heard... So what, are you, what are you telling me? You're 5'10"? Yeah, maybe 5'9"-ish <laughs> on a good day. Well, those, are, those are some pretty good cleats. <laughs> <laughs> some good, solid metal cleats, right? And, uh, and, here, and, and whether it was the message I heard or the message that was going around, I probably got asked, you know, what happened to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, why aren't you tall? Why don't you play basketball you know, 5,000 times? Mm-hmm. And I, I really, Wait, why, why aren't you tall? Yeah. That's such a, that's fun, such a funny question. Isn't that, isn't that funny? Like, what? You know. <laughs> it's the craziest thing. And you wouldn't think that it's a big deal. And it really isn't the first 500 yeah. times, right. but about 599, mm-hmm. it was kind of like, well, you know, 
and and people didn't mean it maliciously. It's kind of like asking someone, you know, why aren't you Japanese? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I didn't. Yeah, you know, I I did not much I could do about my height, and not much I could do about my. Height. <laughs> this is the package I got. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> this, and, this and, is and you understand this: the society we live in. You're never going to be handsome enough, or big right. enough, or tall enough. Smart enough. I oh, really, so. I really bought into that, and for somebody that from a young age really struggled with self-worth issues and struggled with worthiness and struggled with being okay. It really fed into my insecurities. Sure. So this was the, these, this is some of the pattern, the shame pattern mm-hmm. that developed the yeah. shame based beliefs and some of the fear of not all the fear based beliefs that, that are tied into shame usually are start with, I'm not blank. enough. I mean, it's yeah. I'm not blank enough. Yeah. Right. So yeah. fill in the blank with whatever, yeah, you wanted you wanted to, and and I I still struggle to control my thoughts and and not have insecurities and feel like I'm good enough and worthy enough like like most people. But I never had, you know, I I just didn't have the experience of somebody saying you're going to be okay. Yeah, and and whether it was said or not, I I probably couldn't have been in a position to hear it. So, yeah. well, there has to be the ability. Um, to be able to internalize that that information, right? Like someone to say you are good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with you. Your brain may a brain may quickly go into a space where it differs from that feedback because it doesn't have the ability to acknowledge it because yeah. it doesn't believe that there's that I'm okay or that and, I'm enough. And that's exactly it. And when even when someone would compliment me, mm-hmm. my th- I, I can remember thinking, if you really knew me you wouldn't say that yeah and and it really began actually that's a that's a big part of the um i want to say the 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 coupling of shame Mm -hmm. is if you knew me yeah believing that i you know you don't really know who i am and if you did you would have additional your beliefs would be at least as loud as mine are right? yeah. yeah oh yeah and and it it you know every time somebody talks about potential or this or that mm-hmm. that's all i would hear is you just don't understand mm-hmm. who i really am yeah and so in that time i started playing softball with some friends uh-huh. and on a bunch of competitive uh leagues there in utah and we started traveling around and won some tournaments but with that I was playing with a bunch of guys that were quite a bit older than I was. And being one of those older guys now, I can speak to this. (laughs) You just can't play eight or ten softball games on a weekend without being pretty sore. Sure. And so these guys, and this was in the heyday of... Well, if you're, it's competitive softball. Yeah, it's a whole nother world. Too. Yeah, yeah, it it was, and we were we. I played on a team that was good enough to be world champions in like 2004. Wow! And so we were really good, but it also gave me access to a lot of, and this was in the heyday of oxycontin and Percocet mm-hmm. and everything else. And so, in this time of all this personal turmoil and self worth and everything else, mm-hmm. I had had somebody give me. A couple of lore tab mm-hmm. uh, to finish out a day playing in Salt Lake, and I can remember the warm blanket of those pills mm. to this day. And I can remember this is the first time. This was the you, this you was, remember that first. Yeah. Okay. And I can I can still remember just feeling like this is this is it. Yeah. This is it. And to make things worse, I had gotten the winning hit 
to win the tournament uh-huh. at the end of that uh-huh. after taking these pills. Uh-huh. And so as a oh. superstitious baseball player who wore the same socks in high school for a month, that was, of course, the microcosm of me getting a hit right. as well. And so <laughs> Seems the, like a good analogy to see, me. It I mean, seemed you know, fine at the time. I was feeling uh, pretty good. We're yeah. probably relaxed, you know. Got that warm... <laughs> That warm blanket of opiates. Oh, yeah. Oh, and and uh, and I I believed Paul that I was a better player mm-hmm. if I was high. Yeah. And I mean, I had unlimited access to medications. I didn't well. have to uh, go to the doctor myself. Mm-hmm. I had some some guys we played with that had, you know, any and everything, and it gave me access to all of that. So I remember going and playing. And this is this is probably embarrassing to say, but playing with some friends in Orem just so I could have a couple of oxies and all kinds of scenarios like that. And it did not take long uh, for my life to mm-hmm. spiral out of control. Yeah. This is not an uncommon story, no. <laughs> by the way, especially yeah. along the Wasatch Front. Yeah, not. It, it's just that's how easily the opiate. Um, the, at least the addiction or the premise of uh, obsessive and compulsive behaviors mm-hmm. around its use yeah. get developed. And um, yeah, obviously injuries are one of them, but uh, sports itself um, is, is such a big component of that, mm-hmm. uh, especially competitive sports. Yeah. yeah. And, and mine was never... Um, you know, we talked earlier about addiction and recovery and different things. Mine was literally, Paul, a respite from my trauma. Yeah. And it wasn't that I was hiding from the injuries or that it even helped playing yeah. ball at all. It yeah. was it was a couple of hours where I didn't have to think about all this stuff yeah. that God had done to me. Right. right. And and how he wasn't owning up sure. to his side of the yeah. the deal. This is the developing that victim narrative right mm-hmm. that, and i yeah. and i was i was a victim yeah. to everything and anything and had no control and so i started getting uh i i got i was married at the time and we had a little boy and in 2001 i went to cirque lodge hmm. and it was a wonderful experience i was there 30 days spent some money uh to be there but having uh the beginnings of a drug problem and what we know now is simply that i was a low acuity guy mm-hmm. and i got put in with the high acuity guys okay. and so i received an education on recovery uh-huh. but i received more of an education on drug abuse and how to get away with yeah. stuff and what works better and and i retained that information more than i did the recovery information and uh-huh. really i just wasn't ready um I don't know that the recovery information was a problem, but I was just somebody that was starting out and ended up being with a bunch of people that had used for years. Right. And the education I got in that really turned my drug use upside down. Hmm. And it perpetuated a cycle that um, before long I was stealing everything that wasn't bolted down and got caught, a bunch of thefts and, and and I remember thinking there was a, a speaker, and I was trying to remember this on the way down, Paul. There was a speaker that came from out of town from Ireland, and he had had three years clean and sober. And at this time in 2001, 
he said, I, I have three years clean and sober. I can remember thinking in my mind, I haven't had three days in years. And I would like to have three hours where my brain didn't race <laughs> and my mind didn't want to use. <laughs> and things escalated quickly from there. I spent the next 10 years um, lying, stealing, cheating, doing everything under the sun and began to rack up some charges and so the legal aspect the legal consequences mm -hmm. from your use were stacking up yeah and that was not creating probably any more connection in your life and no 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 and and <laughs> and this is creating more disconnect and that's the whole thing you you just slowly you know you isolate you disconnect <laughs> you walk away you stay away you you don't um want to go home for birthdays and Christmas because mm -hmm. you're embarrassed of of who you become and what you're doing and the shame and the guilt of just seeing your family mm -hmm. is, is is did you know um Tyler at this time that that it wasn't the drugs yet or or I mean because you you've identified that you were using the drugs to medicate the shame and the doubt and the fear did you did you begin to understand no, okay. not at all yeah and and really um, didn't understand the trauma piece and didn't yeah, understand that, yeah. the belief system piece or the, mm -hmm. the, you know, you, you get so wrapped up in the shame and the guilt of mm -hmm. all of it that it really is just this toxic way of thinking that, yeah. that you just can't get out of. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, spent some time in Utah County jail and went back quite a few times. And the last time was in Tooele County and got a DUI. And was remanded to custody there, and I thought um, I didn't think much of it. And it turns out that um, my uncle at the time was uh, worked for the district attorney's office in Provo. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. And he had said, you know, kind of jokingly one time, "If you ever get in trouble, Tyler, you really you don't want to come and see me." And I had forgotten that he doesn't really have a sense of humor. And uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> had had kind of laughed it off like, oh, you know, what are you what are you trying to say? Uh -huh. But I had been arrested in Tooele County and was remanded back into custody, and and driven back to Utah County. And so I showed up in court, and I had been, I mean, ten years of using, and so I was crazy and out of my mind and didn't know what was going on. And I had been in jail for a couple of weeks. And I had spent all my time in jail trying to stay high mm -hmm. and trying to plan my next crime when I got out. And it was just a mess. And well, ended up you're, you're in jail, and you can obviously get drugs in jail, as you yeah. know. And uh, you're with... Chances are you're with a bunch of criminals. Yeah. Who, who knew? And, and we were plotting on... <laughs> who knew on, they were, who knew they were, they were criminals? <laughs> and who knew we were, you know, plotting on committing more crimes and everybody's co-signing all your bad thoughts. And Which is, by the way, I, I think that speaks to the same issue you brought up earlier is, um, you know, people come into treatment um, and... For better for worse, end up at the improper level of care yeah. that they need. Yeah, common. Yeah, common. and um, it can for some people actually create more problems. Um, and it sounds like it was for you. Yeah, maybe. And, and jail was the same thing, Paul. Yeah. I, I, 
I literally got an education on a guy that from a guy that ran prostitutes in Salt Lake County <laughs> while I was in Utah County Jail. And and you just have these people doing these crazy things. And I ended up going before Judge Samuel McVeigh, and he was kind of a no-nonsense guy. And he um, said what they always say when everybody, anybody comes into court, it, it turns out. He said, um, Mr. Hanson, if you don't quit screwing around, we're going to send you to prison. Mm-hmm. And I essentially had told my uh, prosecutor that I was ready to go to prison. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think uh, they would send me and thought I would call the judge's bluff and was so smart and everything <laughs> would be fine. And you were you were going to call the judge's bluff. Yeah, I, like just, yeah. I like just the yeah. attitude. No, I, I yeah, right. <laughs> was clearly too, too, uh, too uh, handsome and too charismatic and the judge would you know, wouldn't see me coming and I'd be out before noon and be high again. And <laughs> it turns out that that didn't work out that way. And I see. And, uh, <laughs> you know, for anyone listening and thinks the judge can't immediately remand you to prison, it turns out he can. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. And I can remember that moment uh, vividly. And he said, Mr. Hanson, I forthwith send you to the Utah State Prison. And I thought, there's no way. And I remember going back into the holding cell and saying, well, surely I can appeal this decision. And somebody back there just laughed and said, you have no idea what just happened. I said, I don't. He said, you're on your way to prison. And I just, I was just shocked. I was just shocked. And I, uh, okay. Don't you know who I am? Yeah. Oh, oh, I, <laughs> yeah, don't, you, you know, don't, you know who my brother is or right, my dad right, is yeah. or my uncle, you know, exactly. Where was, where was the family? At, I mean, were you interacting with them at all over these, this period much? I, my family, I had put them through so much mm-hmm. and they were just blown away mm-hmm. at this young kid with so much potential and didn't know what mm-hmm. to do. And I think, I think the overwhelming education at the time was go away, leave them alone, mm-hmm. let them hit rock bottom. Yeah. And they, they had done that. Yeah. And, and it was so painful to interact with me because of all the, you know, I was willing to do anything, trade mm-hmm. on their good name and lie and steal and cheat and mm-hmm. do whatever I could and tell anybody under the sun I was, you know, so-and-so's son or so-and-so's brother to mm-hmm. get money and stay high. It, 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 you know, I would, I, it was take no prisoners kind of thing. So I'm sure they were embarrassed and, and, and I was embarrassed and, and I, I was out of my mind. I had no idea what was going on. I just literally had that, you know, they say a lot of times when you're getting high, you figure if you don't get high, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was an animal. I mean, I was just operating from that instinct that if I'm not high in the next couple hours, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And so I'd traded on their good name and done so much that they just weren't around. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they were, I'm sure it was incredibly painful for them because of who I'd become. And so I go. Well, and I'm imagining on some level it's painful for you too. Oh, that it know, was. It was so how much yeah. self-loathing and, and uh, shame you had. Oh, and okay. and I I um, uh, had planned out you know my suicide in jail, hmm. and I had tied up the socks um, to do it, and I'd been left in my own cell, and. Um, and I spent a whole night, I remember tying them up, putting my neck in, 
and saying goodbye and writing a letter and i just couldn't do it there mm. was a darkness that was in the room mm -hmm. that i've never experienced before mm -hmm. and it was scary and i i really don't talk about it very much but mm -hmm. it was scary enough that i stopped interesting and and walked away from it you felt something that uh, uh i mean and and we we talked a little bit about this before but this notion that's where you know deaths of despair come mm -hmm. in yes um which are are also somewhat of an epidemic mm -hmm. um and really explains uh the and i'm not saying it justifies it but it explains the abuse of opiates mm -hmm. uh, you know under the the awareness or the um, experience that most people that take them have that warm, comfortable blanket mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> feeling, yeah. and, and why that you know why 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 it becomes okay to then justify and rationalize the use or abuse, um, and thinking of that from the, the perspective of this is you know the the, the abuse is easy when. We're, all the the seeds of despair are already there. Yep. You know, hopelessness, worthlessness, um, negative self-talk, self-loathing. I mean, all those things are in place. Shame, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I, I, I find that that you in that moment you kind of experienced the dark depths yeah. of that despair. And and I have people come into my office all the time now and say, you know, I was I've been right there yeah. and I I get that. Yeah. I understand that. And I I was. And it didn't get any better immediately. I went to prison and was in receiving an orientation and when you first get there they break you down into uh, two man pods mm -hmm. and they do kind of an assessment on you for a, either a 30, 60 or 90 day period. And I was in there about 62 days and I had an interesting experience in there. I was in there with um, uh, a guy from Mexico and he wouldn't talk to me for the first six days. <laughs> he pretended he didn't speak English and uh, it, he was an interesting guy, but he, um, literally they couldn't figure out who he was and i need to go back and look at the records but they couldn't figure out who his what his name was mm -hmm. and i think he'd either filed off his uh fingerprints mm -hmm. or something but he'd been locked up all over california and all over utah and it turns out that he was a guy that worked for the cartel mm -hmm. so in my thinking paul and you'll appreciate this i thought this is going to be my new best friend <laughs> and when when i get out right i'll have unlimited access to awesome drugs <laughs> and so six days in he finally broke down and said you know i speak english and and uh we <laughs> we started talking and um i really thought we were friends mm -hmm. we talked quite a bit um we worked out together uh, he kind of taught me how to stay alive in prison because he'd done it a bunch of times and it came time for him to move. And I said, Hey, you know, here's my phone number. What's yours? I'll call you when I get out. And I had this whole thing planned mm -hmm. and he literally stopped and he said, he said, Ty, uh, I like you. So I'm going to tell you this. And he said, you'll never have my phone number. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Ty, I supply heroin in Utah. And he said, I want you to know part of my business is that I need to kill six white boys a week when I put my product on the street so that everybody thinks it's strong and then more people will buy from me. 
and he said, I like you, I will never sell to you. And it was so matter of fact, and so no emotion attached, and so business, um, and so dark Mm -hmm. and unfeeling that it wasn't that he was taking care of me, it was that he didn't want to kill me. Right. And that kind of set me on a path to figure out what the hell I'd been doing. Right. And I went Interesting from, that you had thought, hey, I, I found the, the golden egg. Oh, right? I found I mean, the golden goose. Right, this is yeah. my new best friend. Yeah, right. And I new, thought that for 62 days. Yeah. Until he actually was straight with you. Uh-huh. And even though it seems maybe, you know counterintuitive in the um, criminal code or the con code, mm-hmm. um, he did care about you Yeah, because he said, I won't sell to you. In, in his own way. And it yeah. was the ninth hour on the last day and he's walking out the cell and he said, here's the deal. And it just floored me. Hmm. And I'm sure part of that time I was upset that he wasn't going to sell to me, <laughs> but it was this education and this is what this actually is. Right. And Right after that, about a day later, I got pulled over to the Conquest program in the prison. It's the it's the drug treatment yeah, right. program. Used to be cats or whatever. Yeah, it, it's. I think it's been a lot of different things. Yeah. But I went over there, and um, they had therapists and groups and all kinds of different things. And I and I, I had a I had a couple of different things happen, but one of them was I just. I had a buddy that was in the library and I started reading and after I got through with the vampire romance novels, um, (laughs) there was a lot of really good self-help stuff Uh and I really learned to love to read. And so I started reading and doing different things. I went into my first group and when we all die, we can go back and replay this because I get that this was pretty comical, Mm -hmm. but in my first group of 12 guys, I decided I was going to therapize everybody in the room. <laughs> well, you know, you had all that experience. Well, and I was so smart and didn't, right. didn't belong in prison. And clearly there'd been a mistake, and, <laughs> right. you know, but I needed to let everybody know how great I was and could fix their lives. So right. people I don't even know and had never met <laughs> and had never said two words to. I started having conversations and saying, Carl, if you'll just stay away from your girlfriend who's using drugs, you're going to be okay. <laughs> and the therapist literally went over and sat down, which I thought was my cue to continue. <laughs> and in my sick brain, I thought, finally in prison, someone is going to realize how brilliant I am. And I deserve the respect that I've clearly been given. Right, right. And I went off. And I think I, think I went for an hour and 15 minutes. And the therapist sat in his chair and just continued to look at me and clap when I'd get done. And I'd move to the next guy. And I got all the way done. And the therapist stood up and clapped his hands and said, Mr. Hansen, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for that today. And then he said, that's the last mother effing thing you're going to say for 30 days. The masks you wear the games you play, the person you pretend to be are not real and you are done. And he said, if you argue, you give me any problems, you're going to go to the other side of the prison and you can learn the hard way mm-hmm. or you can learn my way. Mm-hmm. And it was unbelievable. And I had 30 days where he would not 
speak to me. I sent him letter after letter because I'd been done wrong and it was incorrect. And how dare he? You I was once victim. again the victim. Yeah. And he would call me into his office and he would say, Mr. Hansen, do you have anything to say? And I would say, yes. And he'd say, get the F out of my office. <laughs> and it was one of the most therapeutic interventions mm -hmm. you could possibly have. Right. Because at the very end of it, I understood the lesson. Yeah. Which was just simply, you earned your way here. Right. You're everything. And you didn't get here by accident. You deserve to be here. And you're the only person getting you out of here. And uh, it changed everything. I um, started really reading, got into psychology, and then I was made one of the leaders in the dorm, which I always laugh at because I think I told my dad with some pride at one point, and then I saw a bumper sticker the other day that says, my son was Utah County Jail's inmate of the month. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great and I, that's a, a t-shirt man yeah i gotta get my dad a t-shirt that says yeah. my son my son was conquest conquest inmate of the month on it or something <laughs> but i paul i had a a couple of therapists at the time mm -hmm. and one was named desmond lomax and the other one was greg Hendricks, and there was matt park who was there as well and uh oh they changed everything they changed everything mm -hmm. Um, Greg walked me through all my stuff with my mom and Desmond walked through all my stuff with my shame mm -hmm. and Matt was there the whole way to just kind of talk me through family dynamics and different things mm -hmm. and it was amazing and I got to be uh, the unit coordinator I graduated conquest and they have a few people that stay and they're the liaisons between mm -hmm. security and therapy and the inmates. Mm -hmm. And it's a terrible job. It's a horrible idea. <laughs> and, well, but why do you say that? It, I mean, I, I know a little bit why, but yeah. tell, uh, not only are our you, listeners understand yeah. why that's a terrible there's, job. There's one thing to give some feedback to Carl, who's a white supremacist and may or may not have, have, have almost murdered a few people <laughs> that he needs to make his bed and go home at night mm -hmm. it's another thing to have to sleep next to carl right after you've told him he broke some rules yep. and he can't sleep in the middle of the day right so i went around somebody asked me to to put in for this position i went around talked to my buddies all my buddies said do not do this this is a horrible idea uh -huh. and i just felt like if i was gonna learn and and also there's a way to if you do this job you can get out early mm -hmm. and that was a real motivating factor to me because i did not enjoy my prison stay mm -hmm. and i thought i'm gonna do this so i put in i got it and instantly everybody that may have liked you a little hates you a lot right and it's the old um, yeah. You're not supposed to be holding me accountable. Yeah. We're, we're we're cellmates. We're you yeah. know we're we're supposed to look out for each other. Right? I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Yes, yeah, and that's prison. That's prison. that's prison 101. That's how you stay safe. That's how you. I mean, you come in and you typically have to join a gang mm -hmm. because that way you don't get beat right. up and you have a bunch of buddies to protect you. Well, I didn't join any gangs. Was running independent. Was all alone, and then decided to take this job and figured out what all alone really was. And I found out for me, Paul, in my life, I'm one of those people that has to do the right thing or I'm uncomfortable. And my dad told me some stories about me being six years old and in uh, elementary school, in kindergarten, and some 
kid getting hurt or something and me having a problem with it. And my life's always been that way. And if I'm mm. comfortable and sober, you know, I'm, I'm that person. I'm the person that in the room will speak up and, and, and make sure the right thing gets done. Mm. And I did. And for a year and a half, I learned how to do it as politically correctly as possible and how to, <laughs> uh, get through it and survive. Mm. And I had these wonderful therapists and I learned to love therapy. I mean, I remember the first time sitting in a mediation and, and as the unit coordinator, you get to run these mediations. So I probably Paul saw 3000 mediations in my time there. Wow. And it was this great education on how to deescalate people and calm people down. And I remember the first time I saw one, I literally thought therapy is magic because mm -hmm. they're getting people that want to stab each other to go back and go to sleep and yeah. calm down. Yeah. And I wanted to learn everything I could learn about it. And um, I did a good job, did what was right, and I was getting ready to get out. And uh, I had a guard. Well, I had I was in the library. I was working in the library at the same time, and was in a back room. And one of the head guys from one of the gangs came in, and he said, "Hanson, we don't respect anything you've done. You're punk. You know, you're you're not going to last out there. You know, you've 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 done this the wrong way." And I simply said, "And you've met me, Paul. You understand this. <laughs> I will say the wrong thing." <laughs> and I just simply said, sir, I know you've been here 24 years. You'll probably be here another 20. I don't really care what you think. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Note to self. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was not a good idea. And, and Very brave of you, of course. <laughs> well, I'm that guy. I'll say, if you want to talk trash, I'll talk back. And, yeah. and did. And, and one of the guards came to me and said, hey, um, here's how this is going to go. You're going to get jumped. And these guys are going to come for you. Mm -hmm. And when they do, because there's cameras around, you've got options. You can either go down on both your knees and put your hands over your head and go home, or you can fight. And if you fight, you're going to be here a long time because you'll be on camera fighting, mm -hmm. and they'll kick you out of the program. They'll send you back. No mm -hmm. time cut, no nothing. And I thought, no way. But, but this guard was right on. And... I decided I wanted to go home to my girls and my son. And within a few hours, the next day, I fell asleep in a corner and this guy came and got me. And it was the back of the head and I was able to go down on both knees and security showed up and took the guy out. And, uh, and I was okay. <laughs> and that precipitated the the lessons of you know good people mm -hmm. will help you and guide you to do what you need if to you're do. willing to help yourself if, too if you're willing to listen yeah which i had never been and <coughs> sure you had a, you you knew you knew what everyone else should do for their problems yeah, right <laughs> i was that guy no uh, i i knew better than everybody else yeah, right but but i just had this incredible experience so on my way out the door um desmond lomax who's a dear friend today um had said if you want to be a therapist you could be a therapist and paul i can remember thinking why would he lie to me he doesn't know me if he really knew me he wouldn't say that and yet i struggled for three days because 
the realization of he'd never lied to me before. Mm-hmm. Why would he lie to me now? Mm-hmm. And I got out and um, kept that that thought that, you know, uh, if you mm-hmm. want to do this, you could do this. Mm-hmm. And I got out and, and uh, paroled to some friend's house that would have me. My family was still really distant and heard all the stories about people coming out of prison and and um how long were you in prison two and a half years okay so i was given a three-year sentence and they gave me six months off for the stuff i'd done right in the program and i got out and had this innate desire to um go back to school mm-hmm. and become a therapist and so i started working for a cousin of mine and doing concrete all day and then worked at a treatment center at night hmm. and um, started going back, to, applied to an online school and started going back to school. And it was phenomenal. Hmm. Um, I had, I don't know if you know Paul Carver. I know who he is. Yeah. And uh, Teresa Burton were my professors mm-hmm. and they were phenomenal. And they ate me up one side and down the other on a daily basis. <laughs> and I learned so much in school. And um, while I was in prison, I was excommunicated from the church for all the stuff I'd been involved in. And, um, you know, had all these crises of conscience and crises <laughs> of faith and all this stuff with my relationship with God and, and wasn't able to work through it. And going to school kind of helped me put the pieces together. <laughs> and it was once again, these wonderful people that were put in my way and not put in my way to be nice to me, but put in my way to give me an education Yeah, and were kind enough to and be honest with you, kind enough to be really, really, really frank and <laughs> really honest. And it once again changed everything. Um, during that time, um, I met uh, the girl that I'm married to now, and she is just wonderful. When I met her, I had been sober, um, I think, three and a half, four years, and counting my prison time too. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had been sober, I think, a year and a half. And she told me, first time I met her, if you ever get high again, you'll never see me again. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I believe that to be true. And it, <laughs> <laughs> she is not one to mess around. And that, that changed everything too. Mm-hmm. Because I knew she loved me and I loved her. And I didn't want to put her through all of that. Mm-hmm. And so... um I've been so blessed to have so many people and so many good therapists around me. I worked at this treatment center at night and then um, went back to school. I got my advanced substance use disorder counseling license and met a guy named Mike Jorgensen and started working at Steps Recovery Centers and have had this wonderful education on the recovery business. Mm. And... um, have just been surrounded with him and Brad Dennis and some of just the neatest, most honest, most, most, um, wonderful, wonderful people and have learned, um, so much. When I got done, I had a, a supervisor named Corey Dennis and he's a PhD. That's a a professor at BYU. Mm -hmm. And he had, 
challenge me on harm reduction. I mean everything. You know, maybe this isn't what you think it is. Maybe you should look at this. Maybe read this book for me. I see. And he, him, and Dr. Simpson, who's become a dear friend, <laughs> um, just changed uh, my whole life. <laughs> and uh, my wife came to me one day, and we were not going to church. We're not uh, those kind of people. We we've always been spiritual people, but not <laughs> religious people. And she said, do you want, we have young kids. I've got five kids now. And, um, she said, do you want to go to church? And I said, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> and she said, well, let's try it and see and go. And so <laughs> we did. And it culminated in, I got rebaptized in the church and she and I got married in the temple huh. not too long ago. And we just have this incredible life where we're just so comfortable kind of being us and being in our own skin. Mm -hmm. And, um, I have been able to, you know, I got this degree. Doppel was incredible division of professional licensing. And yeah. I showed up yeah. being out of prison and I tease my wife all the time. Cause I showed up in a 1996 Chevy Cabriolet with a breathalyzer on it <laughs> and why you would get in the car with someone with a breathalyzer that had just recently got out of prison right, right. is a terrible idea in and of itself. But why you would marry this person later is, <laughs> is also crazy, but division of professional licensing well, in your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Obviously not in hers. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, she, she told you what the guidelines were and yeah. from day one or yeah. whatever it was. You and, know. and she's stuck to those guidelines. Mm -hmm. But um, I got fully licensed and I've had all these incredible opportunities. So now I work for the Utah County Sheriff's Office mm -hmm. and run a transitional drug program with James Childs and a couple other therapists mm -hmm. uh, down there. I, um, last month got approved to go back to the prison and Desmond and I hmm. uh, go in once a month and take uh, transition plans in hmm. to help them get out and stay out. Um, I'm on the board of directors for the harm reduction coalition and I'm now the general manager and one of the managing partners for steps recovery centers. Uh -huh. And so all this in, um, you know, seven, almost eight years of sobriety, but I've just been so blessed, Paul, with mm -hmm. so many open-minded people like yourself mm -hmm. that were willing to say, Hey, maybe let's try it this way. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a guard <laughs> that I got to go see with Desmond the other day and just thank, because he had said, when you get out, get one job, do it to the best of your ability and then get a second. Mm -hmm. and do that to them. And I'd done exactly that. Yeah. And it had turned out, you know, we actually, I, <clears throat> I really believe in that model. Yeah. And I don't, and I be honest for me, it doesn't actually even matter what the job is. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to find out. I mean, I, I became a, a dishwasher at a bakery. Yeah. Um, at one time. Uh, and, I had been a stockbroker before that, <laughs> and uh, but I decided that you know it was time to get humble and make the changes, and uh, that was uh, a good choice. And they weren't going to hire me mm -hmm. because I was way too overqualified, and you know a forty-year-old or you know thirty-seven-year-old guy going to 
show up here and uh you know, that was, you know, and how long are you going to last in this job? Yeah. You know, oh, a yeah. week or something like that. And I told them, no, I'll, I'll, I want to be the best dishwasher I can be. Mm. This is personal. If I take this job, I didn't have a car at the time, and so I could walk to work. And, and it was, I'm taking this job so that I can get into a state of being grateful and humble for no matter what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And that experience was powerful and i did become the best dishwasher i could be and today dishwashing is part of my spiritual practice that may sound funny to people (laughs) but i get up every morning and if i mean i i have a routine that Mm -hmm. i do and it it, it, (laughs) it's sort of a cleanup kind of thing and that's part of my meditation and i know some people would think that sounds a little funny but it's real no that i i was doing concrete for my cousin um and my cousin's a crazy work. I mean, if, if you're standing around, you're not working. And then got a job at a plastics factory, just stacking uh, plastic in boxes and worked right out of prison. And those two jobs, I just, and, and we talked about this last time, I got admitted to get my master's at BYU in the fall. Right, yeah. yeah. It is so easy to do homework when it's 106 degrees outside. And I think about doing concrete again. Like there is nothing that has propelled me to get good grades better than my fear of having to tie rebar at some point in my life again. Yeah. And I promise you that's kept me sober. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I promise you. you. Yeah. I, I just think there's a, a, a real important part of learning to do something to the best of your ability yeah. and becoming as good as you're able to become at it. And it helped with, you know, some days were really difficult, but it, it did definitely help with how do I make the best out of this moment, living in that type of feeling. And I, I stayed there six months, and I was going to stay longer, and, and they actually said, you know, we want to start teaching you how to bake. Yeah. So I started coming in and doing, doing baking, you know, preparing um, at this. And I learned a lot about baking and things I never, never would have learned. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I look back now and go, yeah, it was all perfect. Yeah, and th- and that's and it is. Yeah, and it completely. I was taking is. a little bit of a Buddhist approach. I mean, I was. Yeah. I wanted to find that place of Zen. That oh, I love that. Be, be a dishwasher and be in the Zen moment where yeah. everything is perfect, and yeah. I'm I'm okay no matter I, what's happening. I love that, and I and I take that outlook on church and all things. I really like the the Buddhist and the AA idea of the only mm. people that deserve to be here, are the people that maybe want to change a little. Yeah. The only, yeah. the only requirement for AA is desire to, to be better. Yeah. So yeah. I always love smelling tobacco smoke and alcohol at church. Cause Hey, come on, man. <laughs> I've, been, I've been there. Yeah. No know? doubt. And yeah. I just, you know, I've just been so blessed. The other, the other piece, Paul, I can honestly say is the relationship I have with my dad today and the relationship I have with my family today is amazing. And I bet it's all I put them through and to have them be so kind and forgiving to Mm -hmm. me is just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for them and my children and all the many lessons that, that, that I've gone through. But the relationship I have with my dad is pretty special. And And I can't imagine having an idiot son that put, but here's the interesting part. The more sober I've stayed, the smarter my dad has gotten. (laughs) 
Funny how that works, right? <laughs> and he may have been this smart all along. But I think he's gotten smarter the, the more I've, I've <laughs> yeah, stayed no, away from drugs. Yeah, I don't know which angle to touch that from, but I will say, I will say that in, in, in my experience, the, you know, the more I've learned, the less I realize I know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, absolutely. So I understand, I understand why there, some people are threatened by learning, you know, <laughs> yeah. because it, it, it often will not confirm our biases. No, it's, know. it is uncomfortable. And, and this whole going back to school and everything has been so exciting, but at the same time, you're so uncomfortable all the time yeah. and you're always learning and evolving. And, and we talked about it earlier. You're just in process. Yeah. You're just in process. Yeah. And, and the way I thought originally, and, and I love to see people in their first year of sobriety mm -hmm. because they know it all. And, and you know you you hear him share at meetings and i was at a meeting with my one of my good friends and he said you know i hate when people in early recovery share and i said man these are the best because <laughs> i remember being there and thinking i got this licked and i've yeah. got this together right and i think the farther you you get away from it the more you realize i don't yeah. i'm as crazy as anybody else and yeah and and I've got to work on things the same as everybody else. Just another bozo on the Just bus. Just another bozo on the bus. <laughs> that is the beauty um, <laughs> of, of of doing th this work. And regardless of whether it comes under the the label of recovery or sure. you know or self discovery or whatever, I, I believe all of it. We can the recovery applies to it all, regardless if it's recovering from you know a mental health or. Uh, issue or you know deep despair which is often the same thing mm -hmm. um or you know drugs and alcohol or death trauma um i, I don't distinguish between the differences of yeah. any, any of those yeah I love and i that. think it's important not to yeah as well. and it's it's inclusive yeah it really is that we we talked earlier you know i you there's so many things in the church and and different things where you feel you know you go you go talk to a bishop at a young age mm-hmm and you don't ever, I don't remember, and it, it, maybe it was how I was wired, maybe it was what was said, but it was only when I finally, in prison, went to an old AA sponsor mm -hmm. and laid everything out on the ground that he said, you too, huh? You know, I, I did all this stuff, you too. Mm -hmm. Okay, what are we right. going to do? And there's so much judgment and scorekeeping and sure. all that other stuff that comes that I wish we would just be... You know, hey, I've had those thoughts. Yeah. I've gone through that. You know, I have a I have a sponsor today that I talk with, and and he's got, you know, I think 15 years clean and sober. And the only benefit to him is every time I talk to him, he says, "Yeah, I've been through that. I understand that. I get that." Yeah. And I just wish we everybody had that guy in their yeah. speed dial to say, "Oh yeah, hey, I I went through that, and when I went through that, I did this," because yeah. it it's just so nice. Right. Well, it's it, it again. It's generally coming from a non-judgmental, yeah, you know, yeah, viewpoint, and um, and when it allows someone just share their experience of how they dealt with a certain situation, it doesn't mean that it always applies. Mm -hmm. But there's a good chance that there's information in there that will definitely help. Um, to have better coping and yeah. life skills, and I, and if I we're willing to hear it, yeah. And I don't need the the way it was done as much as it. It's just so I'm so grateful for that. Well, I made it through. Yeah, you can too. It's possible, and that's yeah. that's my big thing, especially going back to prison and, mm -hmm. and doing all this stuff. Is is it's gonna be okay? Mm -hmm. It's gonna be okay. I don't know what it's gonna look like, 
but it's going to be okay. So with you mentioned that maybe I misunderstood. You were talking earlier about um, uh, being in prison. You said you wanted to get back to your. I thought you you said your kids, but did you, were you married before you had gone? So I was prison? married before. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And um, you know, my kids never visited me in prison. Uh, my family was really ashamed of, of things that gone on. And my dad came uh, to visit me a, a few times. Mm-hmm. Brother came a few times, but I never called home. Mm-hmm. I called home one time. My brother died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found out he had died and, and the, the lieutenant had allowed me to call home. But I was so ashamed of who I was and mm-hmm. who I'd become that I didn't want to bother anybody. Mm-hmm. And it's just so that shaming. Oh, the piece, the burden piece too. The toxic, toxic of I just I don't even deserve to, you know, have the last name I have. Right. I can remember. I can remember feeling that. And and it was just unreal. So, are you? Do you have relationships with those kids from your previous? I do. I do. We have. um, I coached uh, my son in baseball uh, this year, and he was. uh, We had a wonderful time, and and. Um, you know, I'm working through all the shame and guilt of being gone mm-hmm. and managing that relationship. But my wife is a lot better at that stuff than I am. And um, <laughs> a, lot, a lot better at managing me, I should go, say. F- go figure how that works. <laughs> and here's, you'll appreciate this, as somebody that has gone to school to be a counselor, uh-huh. uh I'm not a best counselor, especially when it's my own kids and my yeah. wife and everything else. And so, oh my gosh, oh. I misdiagnosed one of my kids. <laughs> I thought he was oppositional defiant. <laughs> Turns out he just had anxiety, yeah, and didn't have the skills to be able to address it. Which then the the symptoms came out as oppositional defiant. And I, I look back now and go, well, I mean, I'd say it jokingly to myself, I go, "You're just an idiot." <laughs> And it was just too close, you know. Yeah. You, it's it, yeah. And I know there's some therapists that do yeah do that. They diagnose their own kids, and uh, I get enough flack uh, from my <laughs> wife about you know if you're watching a TV show and you're analyzing and diagnosing the different oh, characters all day long. You know you all know day this, long. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's like I know. Is that a fault? And you know, but, but I get it. I've had my kids say to me before. You know, <laughs> uh, okay. Take off the therapist hat, Dad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we we. My son's been awesome. Uh, I coached his uh, baseball team in American Fork, and he's twelve. And so they in American Fork they play twelve and the fourteen year olds. Uh-huh. And so he this last year was one of the younger kids, and so um, we played some harder teams where, um, you know, it's hard to get a hit if you're fourteen years old. And you can imagine the fourteen year olds are six three you know, and these big athletic kids and my son's yet to hit, you know, his 13, 14th year growth spurts and stuff. So I've got, and I, we have a younger group of kids Mm -hmm. and it was so neat to see, we ended up taking, I think second in the league and we're headed to state uh, next week. But my son, um, you know, struggled to hit here and there Hmm. and, and we've worked on it and I was a okay hitter. Um, uh, growing up and have worked on it quite a bit and so it was fun to work with him and and do different things and the last game of the year he um from one of the best pitchers you know he he gets some social anxiety mm-hmm. and, and and he really um 
you know, it's scary. You you think about it as a 12-year-old with 14-year-olds pitching. It's scary. So he got really good, and he's a lot smarter than I am at the walk, you know, and, and being hit by the ball and not swinging. And so we had all these incredible talks. You know, I thought about swinging and doing this and that. And the last game of the year, we played one of the better pitchers, and he um, decided I'm going to get a hit. And so the first two at bats he got up there and he swung as hard as i think you can and he wasn't even close to the ball at all and the last time paul he got up and he hit this ball and um he just killed it up the middle and there happened to be a guy that picked it up and threw him out at first and wow and it was an incredible play, one of the better plays I've seen. And he comes over and he's in tears. And he and I and I thought, you know, he's sad mm-hmm. because um, he didn't get a hit. Mm-hmm. And I said, buddy, what's wrong? And he said, Dad, nothing's wrong. I can hit the ball. I can do hard things. Yeah, and nice. It's just those those moments. Yeah. I mean, I was higher that moment than I've ever been <laughs> in my whole life, Paul. It's yeah. worth everything. That's the, that's the natural high, yeah, of experiencing love and life and, and family and and that and that's been. I have two uh, little little kids. I have a two year old girl and then a little boy that's six months old, hmm. and those it's just it's incredible. Wow, yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot. It's quite a story, by the way. Well, you know, it it it's going to be more entertaining if i get through byu here in the next <laughs> <Yeah>. couple <of> years <laughs> but there's no there's there's no evidence that you won't though, well is what i'm you saying you never know yeah it's i, <laughs> I mean go based where your life is today right yeah. and i like to i do my best to remember to base things on evidence you're right <laughs> maybe you know 10 years ago maybe yeah. that wouldn't no, be the true. case no. but today you know the evidence shows that you, you'll do fine you yeah, know i, I appreciate but that you'll have you know, you'll have your own special struggles, whatever they are. But I will say one thing I noticed, though, for myself, because I, you know, I, I went back to school at different times, and and uh, what I what I noticed was um, is working in the field, in the mental health and the healthcare field and behavioral health, that there's a lot of things get taken in by osmosis that i didn't realize yeah. until i went into school and started learning them you know from you know on a master's level or graduate level and i i realized that there's some things that we just absorb too and if you can work in this field mm-hmm. you can definitely study it yeah especially at a, at, at a school that's that's you know usually their programs are really well developed mm-hmm. and really well supported yeah. so yeah i i'm I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Okay. I'll move on with a few other questions. Okay. I'm going to ask you, have you listened to any of the individual podcasts yeah. all the way through? Oh, yeah. Okay. So you, you know sort of some of the questions. That yeah. Are, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'll, I'll begin with some of the, just the general ones is how do you find, how do you find joy? What, what brings you joy? You know, my kids uh, bring me joy. And every time I walk into a jail or prison mm. and the door shut i'm happy and wow i feel so connected there wow to people that struggle and yeah. i'm so grateful to be in there wow that that's joy for me no i get it i mean i can i can feel it and, yeah. and see it obviously um that this that hits you at a core, core yeah that's i was how, so that hits you at a 
at a, at a heart level. Yeah, I was so miserable there and so just destitute mm-hmm. that to walk in and, and try to cheer everybody up and give them a little hope is, is really sure. joy. Well, and I remember in in this as well, as you shared that part of the story is when you, I don't know if this is what you meant when you said it, but you tied all the socks together and yeah, oh, made yeah. a noose of some kind, right? Mm-hmm. And that uh, then you had that moment where you realized the darkness that was that was there you didn't want. Yeah. And that that's... That's affirmational, even though at the time it may not always feel that way. Yeah. But you made a very clear choice, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so what are the things that, that you do or, or how you live that um, that you feel connected, I guess, uh, spiritually? And I know you, you, know, you were raised um, in the LDS faith mm-hmm. and... and you know, left it for a while, went through the excommunication, and you've, you've gone back. But it seems like you've had a spiritual sense to your being for, you know, pretty much your whole life in yeah. some form or another. How do, how do you connect to that today, and in what, what ways bring you that sort of Zen connection? You know, um, reading is probably mine, mm-hmm. my big one. My wife and I spend a lot of time, um, her family has a place in Wyoming, Mm-hmm. And out in nature and riding horses and and with the family, but yeah. I would I would say family time and I would say reading for me is yeah. really studying. Reading is really powerful. Yeah, really powerful. and I, the, the getting out in nature. I think. Yeah. From what I heard you say, that that's such a powerful experience. Oh, yeah. We we love that, and I I married a hippie, so she Good loves for you. she she has a green thumb and loves to be <laughs> in the garden, and I have a whole house full of plants that I'm always trying to throw away and. <laughs> and, uh, but she really keeps us connected and grounded. So it's That's awesome. Funny. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny stuff. Yeah. 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 I'm a bit of a hippie, but, uh, yeah, I also married one as well. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You understand my struggle yeah. then. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Um, what, uh, what kind of, um, what is your belief about, uh, about God, the universe, uh, you know, the, you know, when it comes to, I talked about connecting, you know, spiritually, but what, what are your, what are your feelings about that and, and higher power? And, um, you know, um, growing up in the LDS faith, I believe my, my feelings around God were really rigid mm-hmm. and that he was very uh, menacing and punishing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the complete opposite today yeah and i think he's just you know jolly old saint nick <laughs> laughing and and not worried about any of the stuff we're worried about <laughs> and and just very loving and kind and 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 more so that way than anything i don't think we understand yeah how he sees it at all uh-huh. he, or she. he or she and i'm okay with her being a black <laughs> rastafarian yeah I, you know at this point good for you yeah i i'm okay with all that that's I, progress yeah right yep. and we can Take some of that early indoctrination yeah. and uh, and be able to transform it. And, and I, I, you know, we we were talking a little bit before we came on about that subject. And I, th- I think it gets confusing for people. And and in the sense of, am I doing something wrong if I think outside the box that yeah. I grew up in? I also use the term cage, but not related to any particular faith or religion. I don't sure. mean that at all. But the cage we built, mm-hmm. absolutely, know, yeah. That the notion of you know, we, we built this, which I think is good news, right? Mm-hmm. That we built the cage, and so it allows us to have the 
the ability to rewrite it or deconstruct it and put it back together again if we need to and in one that's more serving of you know connecting to family community um you know the uh fellowship whatever yeah whatever it is whatever it is yeah and and we've talked about it but that connection just the key to all of it yeah i mean it is and having some empathy and being that person to yeah. say hey today's today's just yeah. today there's tomorrow <laughs> you know and i think you know I, I know we started off with this but i think that is one of the things that really allows that that openness and that need for connection is i think brings evidence how important it is to have harm reduction yeah and why we have those systems in place well it, it it's and, and that's a you know paul beautifully said but all harm reduction is is you know being helpful yeah as opposed to being judging and hurtful and do right. you really want somebody shooting up in a mcdonald's bathroom or on a park bench when they could be surrounded with people that love them and care about them yeah yeah, that, that that's such a, that's such a beautiful way and simple way to put it. And um, sadly, and for whatever, there yeah. are people that think yeah. that, that think they shouldn't be allowed to to do that. Of course, and uh, that in itself was part of the problem. Yeah, the the Channel Thirteen, Channel Two did big pieces on harm reduction and 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 did some, you know, but had a doctor on there and a district attorney for the state of Utah that were just so punitive and punishing mm-hmm. and. Yeah menacing and it's okay yeah it's just not that it's deal. the wild west yes yeah, it still is yeah it's interesting we're working stuff. on it it's interesting <laughs> stuff. yeah yeah um so what about uh you know when you you sort of look at you looking back over your life now and where you know the the things that you've accomplished and, and made um what what is it that that sort of propels you now to you know, stay, you know, focused and um, sort of living this this path. What, I mean, you kind of talked about the shift that happened in prison, mm-hmm. but how would you d- define that kind of, that uh, deep change where life becomes more open and wholehearted? What, how would you put that into your own words? I think um, I woke up. Oh. I, I, I like, uh, you know, people always talk about being awake, and I yeah. think I'm awake okay and and that means a lot to me and it turns out i can solve some of my own problems uh a lot better being awake than <laughs> being medicated <laughs> and i was that's no joke hey, my i was no good at life uh not sober at all so everything was i everything i touched was more of a mess after i touched it uh-huh. so this this end of it's uh you know the connection and the joy is is immense yeah. and, and people are kind you know i've i've gone about making a restitution for monies and different things mm-hmm. i stole and i've not had a bad experience yet i've had everyone has been so kind yeah so i really i really have enjoyed that piece of it so i think i know the answer to this but when you think of um the idea you know this uh, this goes back to some general behavioralist conditioning <laughs> but um <laughs> what what are, you, what are the thoughts b- between you know f- free will and most things that you can pretty much ordain you know based upon how a person's raced you know oh. there this is such a it's oh. th- it's it's funny it's even still an ongoing you know discussion yeah. but there are a lot of people that you know people you're just born that way kind of thing you know you know 
um, we've spent a lot of time teaching people that the gateway, the marijuana is a gateway mm -hmm. drug and that alcohol is a gateway mm -hmm. drug. Um, my experience with treatment has been rapes a gateway. Yeah. Um, abuse. Abuse yeah. is a gateway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, childhood trauma is a gateway. Yeah. I mean, those are real things we have people experiencing lives as children i mean look at all the stuff we're doing at the border with children being taken from their parents yeah i mean the amount of trauma being instilled there at a young age yeah i mean we we just don't um help people that need help yeah in a lot of instances yeah we talked a little bit about that last yeah. time i think the the actual bringing bringing an environment which creates more pain to people that are already in mm -hmm. pain and how tra and how traumatizing that is, and chances are we're gonna we're conditioning a, a whole group of people yeah. that are gonna have addiction problems. Um, uh, well, and, you know. and you can tell me what did Johan said. Hari said. Johan Hari said. You know, childhood trauma is a huge gateway to addiction. Yes, it is. And yeah. I, I can't remember the statistics or anything on it, but. That, those are, I mean, what you're talking about spot on. Yeah. I mean, those, that's the problem yeah. is, is we're re-traumatizing people that were. Or, and they end up in the system because of criminal activity yeah. because they don't know how to, you know, they, they're not getting the help and support services. Um, you understand attachment issues that are, that happen from this kind of uh, in, in situation. Um, we, we talk about it. I mean, and I know I just try to stay away from politics in here, but <laughs> this is beyond politics because yeah. it's really, you know, creating a humanitarian crisis. And that's on, I mean, in a way it falls on all of us mm -hmm. that whether we're want to continue to support and, and promote that and take the politicians out of it, you know, and, but as far as a, a group, a community, a, a country, a nation, whatever, um, I don't believe that's why we're here. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter what you define it as, but it's not to bring punishment on the most vulnerable. No, it, you can do it on a micro level. You can do it on a macro level. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. But yeah. however, we thought that the drug war <laughs> would be ended by punishing people that were poor or yeah. needed mental health services or whatever, and then taking him letting them out of prisons and jails saying you can't work here and you can't sleep here and right. good luck because here's yeah, $9,000 in fines and fees. I mean, we're crazy. Yeah. And it's interesting how those people, and I understand that there's again a couple of ways to look at this, but how the system financially takes advantage of oh. um, the, the vulnerability of these people Absolutely. as well. I, I, some of the stories I've personally heard from clients since, you know, how a, uh, a $200, you know, fine turned into a $10,000 fine over the period of a few years. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I've heard that enough now that I realize um, there's some definitely some major changes that need to be taken place well, and, and just, judicially how we deal with. Yeah, and just looked at. I mean, yeah. I mean, how do we ever, you know, and here's here's the one I have in jail. Is Ty, you're telling me I need to be sober. I owe X amount of dollars to Office of Recovery Services. Uh -huh. And the only job I can get is working at KFC. And maybe they'll pay me 12 bucks an hour and they'll take nine. You know, tell me that that for a year, making $3 an hour yeah. is okay. Yeah. And you just can't. No. No, this, 
how do we change the system? Yeah. I know that the moral issue on that becomes, well, you got yourself in that mess, you know, and you need to take responsibility for it. But then how do we do that from you know, a humanitarian point of yeah. view, right? So, exactly, exactly. You know, there's something for humanism. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I know. It's, it's such so, a setup. It's, it's so the, true, though. <laughs> it's so true. There's something to be said for remembering everybody. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Um, so one of the questions I, I ask everyone that comes on if in their life, if there are a couple songs that, you know, have meaning or to them or that uh, they've, I mean, I've, I started this, you know, sort of a end of life kind of celebration playlist kind yeah. of thing. But do you have, do you have any songs that have really stand out um, through your life that are, are currently that uh, resonate in such a way that, you know, bring meaning? Um, my mom was a big Olivia Newton-John fan. And if you ever play instrument of peace, man, that thing, you know, where there's, Actually, I know the song. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. Un- it's unreal. Yeah. That one. I don't always like to admit it, being kind of more of it's a, okay. a hippie kind of guy. But <laughs> yeah, I, I had a I had a, a, an album or two of Olivia Newton John back in the eighties. Yeah. So yeah. But you play any Olivia Newton John or James Taylor, and I can cry myself yeah. in a car for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> is there I one? Is those. there a JT song? I know JT. That's what JT, I always call them. JTs. But now, but now we have now you know, we have the other guy. The other yeah. the other the other JT. The sync guy. Yeah. But yeah. Um, Mr. Taylor. Any of those, you've got a friend. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Carolina. I mean, we just, I have so many good memories of that yeah. growing up. Yeah, one, the one that's always stuck with me um, was Country Road. Yeah. I think that's, if you go back to the earlier stuff, and there's there are plenty of plenty of amazing music that came in. And a lot of that earlier stuff, too. I mean, he was. Oh, yeah. He was high as a kite by then. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes you appreciate him that much more. Yeah. That, I mean, really. The, the yeah. Incredible. In, in, incredible troubadour for, and, and, and creative force even with all the struggles that he was having yep. in his life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And it has a, he has a story that, that as well that goes with that. Okay. Well, uh... Tyler, this has really been a pleasure. I'm so glad you came Thank back. You. Thanks for having me. Got to share your story. My um, pleasure. If you know, if if you, uh, as I said before, you know, we sh- we should get back together again at some point and update people on the harm reduction uh, model and uh, the services that are available. Um, but if if you have, you know, just any just basic bottom line advice you would want to share with somebody about you know maybe the importance of having hope or you know resilience or any of those kinds of things how would you kind of sum that up for you and the time you've worked in in this field and you know i had uh a blessing lds blessing (laughs) and when i was 16 and it said it's really special and it said you will bless and heal the sick and um, it was a huge uh, shame and guilt thing for me my whole life. And I, I didn't get to go to BYU as a young man. I wasn't, uh, you know, on the list, short list there. Uh-huh. I didn't go to medical school. And I thought, you know, I need to be a doctor. And right. this, is, this is the path. And this is what this needs to be. Right. And come full circle, uh, <laughs> I'm right where 
Yeah, no. It was always supposed to be. Perfect. And I love that. Yeah. And I love that too. I think that's 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 beautiful because um, the spiritual and the mental and the physical all kind of come together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's, you know, you mentioned uh, our friend Robert. Um, he really, you know, lives and imbibes that oh, as, as a medical doctor. But he's as much of a <laughs> he's as much of a psychologist as he is anything oh, else even though oh, he'll probably you know deny it no know. he he would but yeah. he he is he's that's the humbleness right yeah yeah, yeah. all right and you have that same quality about you wow. as well Tom. Right. anyway i appreciate you coming out today um i think uh have jolene Hari on next week and uh, again, I can't remember what's after that. But anyway, <laughs> um, thanks all for listening. We'll all talk to you soon, and we'll go out as we always do with a little Joan Osborne. Have a good week. What would it look like?